Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms, fueled by Joy. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend on As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Hold on, folks. You are going to enjoy this podcast. You've all been talking about it. It's been smeared all over social media. It's one of the hottest topics among Georgia coon hunters that I've seen since I've been on social media. Georgia just passed a law that is going to allow the year-round take of raccoons. I think possums is included in that. We don't pay a whole lot of attention to possums. But definitely raccoons. There's a lot of different opinions on how this is going to affect coon hunting in Georgia. And I've got Mike Worley with 
the Georgia Wildlife Federation. He is going to lay it out for you, tell you how it all came about. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the issue from the coon hunter's perspective. You are really going to enjoy this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. And even if you're not from Georgia, you're going to want to listen to this because Mike Worley is an interesting guy and he gives us some insight, maybe a message that stresses the importance of why we have to be involved and how we can be influencers when it comes to making fish and wildlife regulations in our own states. So there are a lot of takeaways here for you. I fully expect that Mike Worley will become a regular guest on the Houndsman XP podcast as we continue to bring you the best information on how to preserve, protect, and promote the lifestyle that we all love so much, and that is free casting hounds. I want to share something else with you, though. Today, while I was out uh, just doing some rucking, I had a pack on and just walking around my property here and uh, trying to stay in shape. During this off-season, I had a pup with me, a little Yog Terrier pup, the terrorist, the Krieger, the warrior. He's insane. But anyway, I had this pup with me, and I was out walking, and one of the pieces of gear I had with me was the Hiker Light Leash from Dogs Are Treed. Krieger was just free casting, and this old dude will hunt. At four months old, he's got as much drive as any dog I have seen. And I keep the Hiker Light with me so that he, if he does get himself in trouble, which he does, he does not have an off switch at this age. So I need to leash him up and lead him away from some of this stuff. The Hiker Light is perfect for that. It weighs ounces. I don't even know that I've got it with me, and it's always there when I need it. Check out Dogs Are Treat at dogsartreat.com, and at checkout, use that promo code HXP. 20% off, and you get 20% off of your entire order. Also, check out Rough Cut Company at roughcutcompany.com. They're going to take your high-quality images. You're going to upload them to their website. They're going to return that image laser engraved into a piece of native Wisconsin hardwood. It's going to be a keepsake that you'll want to pass down. And you can use our promo code HXP10% off at roughcutcompany.com. 10% off your order. Check them out. The Old South Dog Box is about to come apart. It's a box shaker. We got Mike Worley in the chute, and he's ready to talk to you. Let's get the tailgate down and the doors open on the Old South Dog Box. It's time to dump the box. Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew! They have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Yeah. So, 
Hey, Mike, I, I apologize for uh, my dyslexia there on getting this invite sent out. For some reason, I had, I think it's because of, I'm thinking Georgia Fish and Wildlife instead of Georgia Wildlife Federation. No worries. Yeah. yeah. Well, Mike, I appreciate you being on the Houndsman XP podcast this morning and uh, taking time out of your busy day. You guys just ripped up, uh, ripped off a busy uh, legislative session, I know. And uh, you glad that's over? You kind of taking a little breather? Oh, my gosh. I, I don't know about taking a breather, but catching up a little bit. That's the that's really what we're doing around here right now. The, uh, the legislature was uh, was fast and furious, as it always is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just want to talk about, let's start out by talking about Georgia Wildlife, Wildlife Federation and uh, your organization, what you guys do. We'll spend a few minutes on that, get everybody introduced to you. And then we got some, we got some good topics to talk about today. Fantastic. Well, uh, Chris, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. And Georgia Wildlife Federation is Georgia's oldest member supported conservation organization. We've been around since 1936. So we're a uh, independent affiliate of the National Wildlife Federation. So uh, I sometimes in the history lesson, I go back and say when uh, President uh, Roosevelt called all the hunting and fishing clubs to the D.C. to, uh, to address the, uh, the challenges with, um, with the uh, uh, wildlife crisis of the early 1900s where we were out of deer, you know, deer were in mm -hmm. trouble, turkey were in trouble, all of our game species were in trouble and uh, called the hunting and fishing groups together. They all went to DC and uh, they formed the National Wildlife Federation. They started the tradition of doing the, what we call the North American, where all the, uh, all the wildlife uh, uh, professionals from across the country get together annually for an uh, annual conference to talk about issues. And then, those folks went back often to their home states and formed uh, uh, a uh, independent organizations or affiliates mm -hmm. uh, to work uh, on wildlife and hunting and fishing issues back in their states. And that's what Georgia Wildlife Federation was. So National Wildlife Federation was formed in February of 36. We were formed in December of 36 by the same people. So is it like, is it like the uh, kind of set up similar to, well, these organizations are probably set up similar to the National Wildlife Federation. But when you look at the National Wild Turkey Federation or RMEF or NRA, you've got the national organization and then you've got your state affiliates or even local affiliate clubs. Yeah, a, a little bit. They're, they're similar in that we have state affiliates and, and a national organization. But the, the difference is that um, we all operate as completely separate entities uh, mm -hmm. on the state level. So Georgia Wildlife Federation, we have our own board of directors. We set our own policies. We join with National Wildlife Federation when their issues make sense to us, and we don't join with them when they don't make <laughs> sense to them. So uh, it's, we, are, we operate completely independently of, of them. Though uh, what we do gain from them is a voice where we can gather together and make sportsmen's voices heard at the, at the U.S. Capitol. Mm -hmm. We're we're really strong here working with our state legislature, but on the uh, at the federal level, obviously there are 50 states out there, and uh, and so uh, it's much more effective to join together as a group to be able mm -hmm. to impact federal legislation. Similar to what we're working, one of the big issues we're working on right now at the federal level is the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, and uh, 
So it'll be sort of the third stool of our conservation funding. You know, uh, sportsmen and anglers have been have been uh, funding wildlife uh, uh, recovery, game species recovery, right. since Robertson since the 1937, which is one of our first issues that we worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then, in the '60s, we had the uh, uh, Dingle Johnson Act passed, which is a similar thing for sport fish. Right. That leaves everything else sort of uncovered. And the Recovering America's Wildlife Act, which is proposed this year, is the uh, is the issue that we're working on at the federal level to uh, to kind of get some dedicated funding specifically for everything else. So habitat issues and all the other things that go along with uh, with supporting our uh, our great outdoors. So that's one of the big federal issues. So Georgia Wildlife Federation is an independent affiliate. We we were founded by hunters and anglers. Right. Uh, it's still very it's sort sort of foundational to who we are. But we also uh, uh, through the years have expanded to include a lot more um, a lot more uh, broader conservation issues and missions. But uh, mm-hmm. one of the things I always like to point out to a lot of our friends is we are uh, really focused on the science associated with all the all the wildlife work that we do. So we have uh, as my 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 30 second elevator speech or one <laughs> ele- elevator speeches, Georgia Wildlife Federation is the advocate for professional science-based management of our wildlife and our natural resources. That is exactly the message that I wanted to bring home on this thing. And we're going to take a deeper dive on a few things, but uh, science-based management is what saved us, saved mountain lion hunting in Colorado this year. Uh, It's what has uh, gone to bat for us time and time again in places like Arizona and I mean, just all across the United States, Vermont just had a, a big win up there for hunters and, and especially houndsmen. So uh, our crowd is becoming more and more engaged in the value of that science-based wildlife and, and combating the emotional-based policymaking and things like that. But, but we're not immune from it. So tell me why, tell me why, and we, I, I, you and I got together because of some specific issues that you're working on in Georgia that directly affect houndsmen in the state of Georgia. You want to run through those real quick and give us an update on where we're at with them. Sure. Uh, one of our big issues, or I say it's a big issue. I think this is a, this was a year in our Georgia general assembly that uh, where we didn't really have any, what I would think of as really great, big monumental pieces of legislation that affect hunting and fishing. But one of the issues that sort of uh, brought about a fair amount of uh, uh, discussion, let's say, among our, uh, particularly among our sporting community, uh, was a, a, a bill proposed that would uh, allow for hunting and fishing, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, hunting and trapping of uh, raccoons and, and possums year round. Um, and uh, the, the, purpose of that was we all know that those two are are nest predators and and uh, turkey hunting is a big issue here in Georgia I'm yes it is across the country and we all we all love I love love to get out and do it uh, uh, you know it's been a it's it's been like five days since I was in the turkey woods so I, you know I'm a, I'm a passionate turkey hunter and uh, so 
uh, obviously those two are nest predators. Obviously they're, uh, they're important to uh, houndsmen uh, mm-hmm. and the, the traditions of uh, raccoon hunting here in our state. Uh, but the, the challenges associated with the, uh, with year round hunting are more optics than they are, you know, the, 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 the facts and the, and the science. Uh, mm-hmm. It's really, we really don't have any science that shows that, hunting these animals year round would be effective at controlling their populations. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite frankly, there's a lot of theories out there that, uh, you know, our, our populations are being enhanced because we're putting so much feed in the woods with deer feeders and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, so we're, we're on one hand promoting the, uh, the presence of these uh, predators and on the other hand, trying to figure out how to control them. But, uh, uh, so we um, have. We're also one of the. We're also the state's R three coordinator, recruiting, retaining, and uh, reactivating people to hunting. Mm-hmm. And so one of the issues that we face with our people that we're trying to recruit to hunting today is uh, new hunters are extremely interested in a couple of issues. Uh, in the, before in the, we get before we get to the access issue, because yeah. I think that's probably where you're going. Yeah. Am yeah. I right? All right. Uh, a couple of things. One of the reasons why we've had a challenge with this hunting, this raccoon bill mm-hmm. is the optics of it. And yeah. you know, these folks that we're interested in bringing, we're, uh, we want to see them. They're here because they want to come in because of the ethics of it. Uh, and they also want to come in because of the, uh, uh, you know, locally uh, sourced food and that kind of thing. So lots right. of reasons, but yeah. you know, when you go out raccoon hunting, I've found over the years that it is a perfect, anything you can do with a, a dog, whether it's coon hunting or squirrel hunting with dogs or whatever it is, a rabbit hunting, bird hunting, it's a great gateway for the new sportsman to get involved in in the activity of hunting, yeah. uh, especially kids. It's hard for kids to go out and spend I, I've raised three. I know what it's like. You get them out in the deer stand. You do all this, this, you know, front end work to get everything set up and you really want to be successful and you're out there for a half an hour and then it starts. I'm hungry. I'm cold. I don't, man, this is boring, you know, but when you're out there with dogs and kids can skip rocks in the Creek and they can, you know, they can veer off and, and go chase whatever, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's a great gateway. Nobody has to be quiet. Nobody, ha- there isn't some kind of code of ethics for, you know, silence and stealth, uh, yeah. for, for houndsmen. So it's a great gateway. So I want to, I want to nail down though, where, what was the work you were doing on this particular bill that was going to, um, enhance raccoon hunting opportunities in the state what kind of feedback were you getting from the houndsmen and you were trying to trying to navigate this whole thing through legislator yeah and by the way i I am a huge fan of uh, i i'm a duck hunter with a lab that uh, that uh, is when she's not able to go with me she got hurt at the end of the season she wasn't able to go hunting with me it really detracts from my having a mm-hmm. good time in a duck blind without having my dog there with me. So me too. we talk further about that later, but, um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we count on the voice of sportsmen. Uh, mm-hmm. we count on the voice, voice of people. We run something called the camel coalition. As a matter of fact, it's a, uh, it's a direct, 
uh, advocacy work. And you can, if, if you are interested or anybody's interested, you can go to our website at gwf.com, uh, gwf.org, I'm sorry, georgiawildlifefederation.org. And uh, you can join Camo Coalition for free. And what it does is it analyzes every bill that comes through the legislature. And when we have specific issues that we need sportsmen to engage on with their legislators, it gives you an easy task to, okay. to plug in and click and, and join. And the reason I want to I want to put an exclamation point on that because we'll have people from Georgia. I've got several listeners from Georgia. That is, go to gwf.org and join the Camo Coalition. That's correct. Yeah. So. Uh, you- and it'll give you updates on all the bills coming out. That'd be a good place for us too, because we try to track those bills as well. Good yeah. stuff. And you can, and so it gives, and you'll be able to look at it. It gives both the the legal language in the bill. You can see the actual <clears throat> legislation. It, but we also do a quick little summary of what it mm-hmm. actually means for folks. Right. And, and then I encourage folks. Some, you know, we're uh, we're pretty independent folks when you come to hunters. Yeah, you know, uh, and sometimes we can actually have disagreements of, uh, of on our issues among mm-hmm. ourselves, um, and so I encourage folks that even if you don't agree with us on a particular issue, stay engaged with Camo Coalition. If we send you a notice out that says to contact your legislator about this and this is what we we recommend, and you don't agree with it, I actually encourage people to to, to change the note. And to send it to their legislator anyway, uh, mm-hmm. even in opposition, because 99% of the time we're all going to agree. And even when we don't, our voices are critical. Mm-hmm. We're in a we're in a world today where, you know, hunters are 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 only about nine percent of the population here in Georgia. Uh, I I'm not sure what the number is across the country, but I do know here in Georgia. Yeah. And, uh, and but the vast majority of our population supports hunting, uh, and so so we we we're not in a place where people are wanting to shut us down or anything like that. But we have to be thoughtful about that issue always. When you think about the fact that we're only nine percent of the population, right? Uh, you know, uh, folks could uh, folks could very easily uh, uh, overwhelm us. We could be uh, taken under with by a tidal wave of non-hunting if we're not careful. That's the battle, that's the battleground segment of our population is that non-hunter, not the anti-hunter, the non-hunter, that's the battleground. We're we're both fight the anti-hunting crowd and the pro-hunting crowd are both fighting for that that percentage of the population that supports hunting or is indifferent to it, but they they can see value to it. So. And it's the largest part of the population by far. Absolutely. Yeah. So Yeah, 9% you'd be looking at 82% of Georgia population being um, you know, non-hunting. Right. That's correct. So, so, you know, that's one of the things that we really, uh, really encourage folks stay engaged, even mm-hmm. if you don't always agree with us. And I, you know, we work hand in glove with our agency, uh, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, but we disagree with them on occasions mm-hmm. and when we do, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, like I said, we probably agree 98, 99% of the time. Heck, I don't even agree with my wife that often. So, uh, so you know, these these issues bring us together. But one of the things I find is that sportsmen sometimes want to, they don't want to get engaged. They think there's something 
wrong about politics and they think there's something wrong about talking talking to their legislators about specific votes and things like that. Folks, we better stay engaged. It's the, uh, it's yeah. one of those issues that I'm, I'm adamant about. We don't stay engaged. There's an old saying among lobbyists and I'm, I've been engaged in lobbying for most of my adult life for uh, 35 years or thereabouts. Uh, there's an old saying that if you're not, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Wow. Yeah. That's a good line. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so let's, let's break down this bill about raccoon hunting. Uh, basically what was the proposed legislation? First of all, did it pass or did it not pass? It did pass. Okay. So yeah. we are going to year round raccoon and possum hunting and trapping in Georgia. That's correct. Okay. All right. And break that down for us. What are some of the nuances of that bill? that our listeners should understand uh to be able to to be able to you know deal with it or cope with it or whatever yeah so this will be law uh the state uh, the department of natural resources board uh board so the dnr board will have to do they'll have to put together some regulations obviously uh this will be the only game animal that you can hunt 365 days a year uh mm -hmm. these two uh you know you know you can here in Georgia, you can shoot coyotes uh, year round. You can shoot hogs year round. Any of our non-native species, but these are our these are our only game animals that'll be allowed to be able to hunt it uh, hunt year round. Hmm. Uh, and uh, no limit uh, on them. So uh, for the for 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 houndsmen in particular, uh, and I, you know, just as just as there. Are, differences in folks that hunt deer there are differences in houndsmen and the way that they hunt uh, raccoons some are no kill they you know they tree them and pull their dogs off and go on about and try and uh, tree another one that that same mm -hmm. night or another five or another ten that same night some are killed uh and and all, all are fine but uh, everybody operates differently uh and and uh, so this it, what are this, some of, what are some of the pushbacks you were getting from houndsmen about this bill? Because there was some opposition. I've seen it on social media. What was some of the oppo oppositions that that the Wildlife Federation received about this bill? So some of the things that we receive, obviously, uh, there's no research at all to support that year-round hunting will reduce the populations of uh, of raccoons and possums. Mm -hmm. uh, so the uh, so we've got a challenge there. A lot of folks were saying we really, you know, we like to have um, uh, you know, Georgia can be a pretty hot and humid place in the summertime. Right. Kind of tough to run your dogs uh, uh, in, in the woods with the in the summertime with with all the heat, the humidity, the mosquitoes, the snakes that are out, all of that kind of thing. So right. a lot of folks are saying, you know, this isn't this isn't a bill that we're even going to engage with. The challenge we face is the optics. Mm -hmm. All these folks that are out there that we've already seen some of the anti-hunting crowd uh, putting up uh, Facebook messages, holding a baby raccoon or a baby possum in their hand, saying House Bill 1147 will make you know, will create these orphans. Right. Um, uh, and so we so what we've done for very minimal, if any benefit to hunting or the outdoors we've given the anti-hunting crowd 
a pretty big hammer to beat us with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so from what I've gathered, you know, just in my limited tracking of this thing, I think some of the, the fear, I mean, if you, if you're going to, if you're going to hunt raccoons in South Georgia in those swamps and things like that, you, it, it would be, and I've hunted down in the Albany area pretty extensively, uh, the ability to hunt the raccoon out of that habitat is virtually impossible, <laughs> you know, uh, with the, with just the landscape bears, the, the swamps and the, you know, the, uh, just, just that part of it, the raccoon is going to survive. I think most of the fear comes from, uh, Northern Georgia. The houndsmen that were opposing this is the fear that, you know, people from, Eastern Tennessee and, and South Carolina and stuff would come into the mountainous area of Georgia to raccoon hunt where the raccoon population is pretty low anyway. And that that's their biggest opposition to it from what I gather. Was that the same thing you were hearing? Yeah, those, that's a, that's a, uh, those are great points. And, and, uh, the reality is we haven't studied it, so we don't really know. So when I talk about the fact that we, uh, we are, a science-based group. There's no science that, that supports this and uh, or, or opposes it. To be honest, right, with you. right. Uh, it, this is sort of uh, sort of taking a tack that we've not done before of allowing year-round hunting of a game animal. But I, but but from a from a a, a common sense perspective. I was going to go there, but I yeah. was, you know, we're talking about science space and now we're talking about common sense. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But from a common sense perspective, it makes a lot of sense. The reality is for most of these kind of uh, species, these are called mesopredators, sort of a mid-level predator. Um, the reality is that hunting pressure oftentimes for turkeys, hunting pressure may have some impact, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because there's so many turkey hunters out there. Uh, but for, for raccoons, opossums, there, there's a real challenge that whether hunting can, can significantly impact the population. Now trapping can, mm -hmm. but it has to be very intensive trapping. So when and you you're, go, you're a wild, wildlife biologist by, I'm a biologist by training. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've, and I, you know, we've got our PhD wildlife biologists on staff here. We've got, uh, it's who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, so when we get out and we start talking about, uh, about things like, um, trapping, so intensive trapping can, can, and is very effective at controlling these predators. And we, and when I say that we've got quail plantations in South Georgia, right. Where, or, or, or lands, uh, that people are managing very aggressively and intensively for turkeys, even here in North Georgia. Mm -hmm. And they can easily go, go to the DNR and get a permit to, uh, to trap. And normally what they'll do is trap during the nesting season, you know, to control these kind of predators. Right. And so you'll have a very intensive, uh, trapping time of about three or four weeks. Uh, they'll put, they can't, you literally, you can, drive down that population on a specific piece of property with daily intensive traffic. No question. And that's something that was already in place prior to this yeah. bill. There was already yeah. a, a vehicle for landowners who were trying to do a management to get that permit to engage in intensive trapping. 
That's correct. Okay. So that, that, that's always been there. Uh, there's no standards on the plan. If you, if you literally write out a two paragraphs that say Georgia Department of Natural Resources, my name is Mike Worley. I'm managing 300 acres of uh, property for turkey hunting. And I'd like to have a permit to trap uh, raccoons and possums or to, to run a trap line mm-hmm. to trap predators. They'll give you a permit. No questions asked. You can go out and run your, your traps every day. The challenges with trapping is that it is if you hire someone to do it, it's very expensive. And if you do it yourself, it is really hard because to, to trap enough, you got to put a bunch of traps out and you've got to run those traps every day. So there's, there's a time investment and a financial investment for that person. I think, I think the biggest rub with houndsmen, with our coon hunters is we don't want turkey hunters killing our raccoons. You know, the, the biggest, and this will tie into your, your, the thing you started down the road on a minute ago was if turkey hunters would simply allow coon hunters to come on the property, these properties that are being managed for other game species and allow us to hunt those areas, we could help them with their problems, but they don't want us there, but then they want the, but then they want to manage the population. To me, if there was already a system in place to do a a management effort on those properties, why do we need to take it a step farther and make more law? Chris, I can't agree with you more. Would you like to come down and uh, join me and be a, uh, and testify at the next uh, uh, committee hearing? At the I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've done that kind of work here in Indiana as well. Um, I, but I really do. I think that's the biggest rub is coon hunters and, and houndsmen don't want people shooting our, our game animals any more than a deer hunter wants a coon hunter shooting his deer, you right. know? at night if so all right the next thing i want to talk about is are you done with that part i am as done as you want me if you want more information (laughs) the my problem is i I can talk about any of these subjects uh, until people are just flat sick of them so i hear you and i do too i get accused of the same thing mike Uh, here's here's i think there's i think I was an advocate there. Now I'm going to be the antagonist a little bit. Indiana about 10 years ago passed something similar. Our stipulation is you have to have written permission from the landowner to take or trap raccoons. And simply there aren't enough people out there that are actively engaged in coon hunting to even really move the needle on this thing. Right. Uh, we haven't seen any decrease in our raccoon population. In fact, I think you would, and again, it's, it's just based on my perception. Uh, our raccoon numbers are at an all time high. We've been going through this for 10 years. And one of the things that, um, I really do want to talk about, and this is a point that, that I've seen firsthand here in Indiana is, um, if we don't manage the population, then the bureaucrats will step in and give direction and manage it for us. And we've seen it with deer. We've seen it with, with, and, and the, the thing is, uh, when we were trying to do some work on the raccoon season here in Indiana through our organization, the, the, the fur biologist flat told us, he goes, he went through the numbers with us of, of, where we're, 
where we're at. And we tried to say, you know, we're not going to kill that. Our justification for expanding the season is we're not going to destroy the population because we don't kill that many anyway. You know, you can't tree a dead raccoon. Right. And the biologist flat looked at us and he goes, you need to be killing more. You really do. Our population is at a level that, that if you don't either you're going to, we're going to lose them to disease or the bureaucrats are going to step in and do something drastic to reduce this number. We've got ag complaints. We've got landowner complaints. We've got homeowner complaints and subdivisions. I mean, that's the biggest thing that we worked on the last 10 years was the human wildlife conflict aspect of this whole thing. When I was, before I retired is, is we spent an, a lot of time answering these wildlife complaints. Our biologists get sick of it. They get bogged down with it. So as hunters, we have to understand that it's okay to pull the trigger. You know, at times, you know, regionally what your population is and you can kind of gauge that if you, as houndsmen, I know, um, we hunt a lot of the same areas time after time. And we know those places that it's pretty tough to tree a raccoon. So you probably don't want to pull the trigger there. But if you're down here at, you know, Farmer John's place around his cornfield and you're treeing raccoons every hundred yards, it's not going to hurt to pull the trigger there. Right. So that's my take on it is I, I being the antagonist, I don't think it's going to be the big boogeyman right. that everybody wants it to be. I, the, I still think that the biggest rub with the whole thing is turkey hunters get to kill my raccoons the the reality here and just chris oftentimes what we don't think of is is the big picture as hunters so right. i'm a i i love to duck hunt i'm all but i started hunt i my first hunting experience was squirrel hunting with my dad when i was a kid and 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 then uh, from there, we also quail hunted. So we had bird dogs uh, and and out quail hunting. We don't have wild quail much anymore here in Georgia. Uh, so, you know, it's a lot of plantation hunting and that kind of thing. But oftentimes we forget that it's not just about that species we're hunting. Mm -hmm. So let me let me sort of build a picture, a big, a big picture here. So we passed the uh, authorization now to allow deer uh, hunting overbaked um, about three years ago. Well, what that's, what's happened here is that we're putting enormous amounts of corn out on the landscape. Mm -hmm. Which costs money. Which costs money. But what it also does is, yeah, it, pro it feeds your deer, but it also feeds your hogs. It also feeds your raccoons. Mm -hmm. It makes life easier for raccoons. Uh, and hogs. So if life gets easier for these non what what some folks would think of as non-desirable species, they have they they reproduce more and they live longer. Right. So you have more hogs and you have more raccoons simply by changing the law and allowing or encouraging hunting over bait. Right. And so it's one of those unintended consequences. And oftentimes we don't think about that in the big picture as hunters. And yeah. so, um, and so, and, and, and I completely agree with you also is that we, we, uh, have to encourage folks to pull the trigger more often. I, uh, when we were having the debate about the deer hunting and, and deer baiting, and I had a land manager talking to me about, a, he was managing a, about 3000 acres for a, a family. 
and said, you know, we we uh, need to be able to take more deer off the land, and uh, and so you know, the, the, allowing us to bait would would make it easier. Shoot over bait would make it easier. And I asked him, I said, okay, so how many people are hunting on this land? He said, well, it's the landowner and his kids. Right. And 3,000 acres, landowner and his kids. And I said, so uh, uh, how many deer are they taking? Well, they're they're trying to only take, uh, you know, a couple of big bucks, you know, every year off the land. We're in a state that has 1.3 million deer. We're in a state where you're, you're, I mean, we have so many deer, our limits, you can take two antler deer and 10 unantlered deer a year. Right. And and I told him, you don't need more corn on the ground. You need more lead in the air. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and that's, uh, that actually is a, uh, is, is the, that's the reality is that uh, uh, we need to, we need to on occasion pull the trigger. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We saw, we saw the same thing here in Indiana with, with the, the deer hunting crowd. And, and we, as houndsmen at times, we'll get into this in a minute, but about why we need to be involved, but you know, it just seems like deer hunters get their way about everything that they want. Uh, we need to kill more deer. So we're going to kill more deer. We need corn on the ground and we're not thinking about the fact that it's going to grow I mean, raccoons are, the population is not hinging on habitat as much as it is on, they can find habitat anywhere. A raccoon, a raccoon will find a place to den in the eaves of your house underneath the soffit. If a you, a you raccoon know. is just as adaptable as a white-tailed deer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so there's nothing special about habitat. They will, they're living in downtown Atlanta. And they're going to be just fine in downtown Atlanta too. You know, they just, uh, they can live anywhere, but with the deer hunting crowd, it's like, seems from houndsman standpoint, it seems to us like everybody's only worried about killing inches of antler on the deer. And when I was still working, you'd go around and you'd talk to guys and, and, it was always a hot topic about our increase in the antlerless take and all this other stuff. They're killing the deer. We're not, we used to see 25 deer from the stand in a day and now we're only seeing five. Yeah. And so it became a deal where they were campaigning against the antlerless deal. It's like, guys, if you've got that many does and the bucks don't have to move around, you're not going to see them anyway. You want to take that doe herd off the landscape make those bucks get out of their beds, travel more. You're going to have a better chance of killing them. And finally they started realizing it, I think. Yeah. 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 It's a, uh, it, it, you know, and uh, interestingly enough, I mean, Chris, you, you know, you understand this stuff. You've got this back, the background to, to, uh, <laughs> to, to have these, you know, to, to kind of look at it from a big picture perspective. So raccoons, opossums are mesopredators. They're sort of mid-level predators. Yeah. Uh, so in the in in the world, except to a quail, quail uh -huh. and a turkey, except to a quail and a turkey, they're major predators. They're, they're major predators. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but in the world that we've created, because we're here now, well, I mean, so it's not the world that they evolved in. There right. were they were apex predators. Yeah, that would keep their populations in check as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and the populations of those those mesopredators, there aren't there aren't those out in the landscape. We. So we do have to have, I think, some uh, uh, some hunters 
that are willing to take those take those shots yeah. uh, to to serve in that role, if you will, of of uh, helping to to make sure that we're maintaining those populations pro- appropriately. I just I just wish that the state regulator regulators would take into account that before you make a law to bait deer, kill more stuff or whatever, you know, for our raccoons that they put a stipulation in there before we pass this, then we have to see that you are allowing access from these user groups to get in there and help you manage your problem, help you solve your problem before we make more legislation to solve it for you. I hate it when government tries to solve our problems. If, if people there's science, there is science out there about, uh, and deer hunters, and I, I'm not trying to rant on deer hunters, but because I, I've tried to look at the big picture on things too, like you said, but deer hunters are their own worst enemy and turkey hunters are too. When it comes to this stuff, they think that a hound running across their property is going to somehow adversely affect their success of their hunt. And really what they need to realize is that they just need to be better hunters, uh, that we're not the boogeyman that they think we are. But until that landowner makes the effort to resolve his own issue by allowing access, we're not passing any more special regulations for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, and look, I get, I get the whole, uh, you know, when you say deer hunters get what they want, deer hunters are the 900 pound gorilla. Uh, I mean, if you look at who spends money, who buys hunting license, who, uh, who own property, own property, who lease property, who, I mean, uh, some, somewhere around 60% of the uh, revenue for our department comes from deer hunters. Yeah. So look, I get it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and turkey hunters are passionate and they are numerous. And, uh, and so those are, those are your big species. The, the folks that are doing the houndsmen. So we certainly have some deer, deer hunting with dogs. We mm-hmm. have we have raccoon hunting. Everybody's doing quail hunting uh, with dogs. Everybody's doing duck hunting with dogs. So I mean, dogs are are critical components, and hounds are critical components of our of our hunting uh, world. But we're not we're not even the big voice. We're not the big voice within the hunting community either. And right. That's one of the other things we have to keep in mind. That's what I wanted to ask you about. You know here's here's your opportunity to tell people if they're a houndsman why they need to be involved with organizations like the georgia wildlife federation with their state hound organization uh we're trying to operate way too much as individuals out here and organization is very low among the working dog and i'll just stick to hounds houndsman so here's your opportunity to give people the the speech about why you need to be involved you know as uh, as sportsmen we all think of ourselves as that rugged individualist out there in the woods and uh you know the uh the the person that can can walk out there and uh and take care of take care of themselves take care of business out, out in the woods mm-hmm. and we can the reality is th- is that we don't live in the wilderness anymore Right. And we live in a world that is that is driven by politics. We live in a world that is driven by laws and regulations. Yeah. And if we choose and that's it's our choice. 
if we choose not to engage as a group, as individuals, we can, we can be advocate. You know, I can, I can tell all of my buddies, uh, how, how, uh, great it is to go out and, and, uh, you know, train my, uh, train my lab every day and she can do, you know, fantastic blind retrieves and she follows our hand signals and all that kind of stuff. And she's a, she's just awesome. Yeah. You know how much that means from a, from a, uh, a, a policy standpoint, it means absolutely nothing. Right. Right. It, it, so if we, if we are, if we are committed and we believe in, and we enjoy, continue to enjoy what we do for, for, um, it, truthfully for pleasure, uh, for, you know, uh, then we have to stay engaged mm -hmm. or, or those opportunities can be taken from us. We're going to continue that conversation. I got to take a quick break for a sponsor and we'll be right back, Mike, but we'll be, we'll be, uh, addressing that and picking up right on the other side of this break. Sounds great. Hey folks, Memorial day is going to be here before you know it. What a great time to honor the sacrifice of the men and women of America's armed forces who have bought and paid for your freedom with their blood. You can honor that sacrifice by making a donation to Freedom Hunters. Go to freedomhunters.org and hit the donate button. You can also find that spot to do that on our website at houndsmanxp.com. And you can do your patriotic duty by getting a Gold Star family member out on a hound adventure through Freedom Hunter and Houndsman XP. Houndsman, you're the most patriotic group of people I have ever been around. Let's pay it back. Let's pay it forward from field to field with Freedom Hunters. All right. And we're back with Mike Worley of the Georgia Wildlife Federation. We were discussing how to stay engaged um, you know, it's almost like you read my most recent article for bear hunting magazine. I wrote an article called independent to a fault. Um, and independence is something that a lot of coon hunters look for in their hounds, but as hunters, just to wrap, summarize that article real quick, we all want to be that rugged individual, that, that person who's independent that can solve their own problems. But at the end of the day, we've got to know when we come out of the, off the mountain, out of the woods to show up, to stay involved and stay aware of what's going on in the world. And one of my favorite sayings is learners will inherit the earth while the learned find themselves beautifully equipped to deal with a world that no longer exists. Yeah. That's you great. know, and you can be that rugged individual, but you're going to come out of the woods and realize that you are several steps behind preserving the lifestyle that you want to have. Yeah. If you don't get involved. I, you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm Mike Worley, president and CEO of Georgia Wildlife Federation. I'm a registered lobbyist. I go to the Capitol all the time during the state legislative session. I talk to legislators almost every day. Mm-hmm whether we're during the session or whether we're outside the session, I'm talking with legislators. Um, the reality is, you know, uh, everybody looks to the wildlife Federation to represent hunters and anglers at the Capitol, but it, it makes way more difference if I can convince one or two hunters to come to the Capitol and talk to that legislator instead of me talking to them. Mm -hmm. 
it makes a tremendous amount of difference. If I, you, you talked about going down to Albany, Georgia, if I can take a, if I can get a, a hunter from Albany to come to the Capitol and speak at a uh, game fish and parks committee he, hearing or a Senate natural resources and environment hearing, their legislator is sitting on that committee. Yeah. And they listen to them because that person from Albany votes for them. Right. Uh, and so, and it's a, it's a normal person making a, uh, a, a comment, making a, taking the time and the commitment to come to the Capitol. So it folks, it can make such a huge difference. Yeah. I, 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 I understand what you're saying. And I think a lot of times as sportsmen, we think, well, definitely join, you know, get involved and pay your dues to your hound organization mm -hmm. and your, and the Georgia wildlife federation, but don't send your money there. And then like you're passing the buck. Okay. I paid my dues. Now I expect you to go do the work for me. Find ways to be involved. Find ways. If you have to make a phone call to your representative, make a, you know, write a letter, send an email, uh, you know, whatever it is, but, but there is no political clout to complaining about it on Facebook. You right. know, you, you've got to make that personal contact and don't just send your money expecting someone else to do the, all the heavy lifting for you. We've got to get involved at the level if we're really going to preserve our lifestyle. When I go to the Capitol and I say, I'm Mike Worley, I'm testifying at a committee hearing uh, and, and committee hearings are, are, that's not where I do my most important work. Most of my important work happens outside of committee hearings. My, my members and my hunters make the biggest impact in the committee hearings. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm, if I'm, as I like to say, you know, if I can go down there and say, I, I'm Mike Worley, I represent 30,000 hunters and anglers in the state of Georgia. That means something. It mm -hmm. certainly does. But when, uh, but, to, for a, a person who is a member who has sent me a membership uh, uh, contribution. Now, I think that of those as hunters or anglers, that's an investment. But if you're going out and investing in, let's pick a stock. If you're going out and investing in Twitter stock like Elon Musk did today, uh, uh, you know, over the last right. few days, you don't just put your money in there you put your money into that stock market and you pay attention to those investments you've made. And you actually might even manage those investments a little bit as time goes by. So it's not, so it's not, I appreciate and count on those investments, those folks sending that membership check, but it's, it's just as important for the future that you also manage or stay engaged with that investment. Right. And that's the encouragement I try to make with our hunters and anglers. Mm -hmm. That makes sense, Chris. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I can also say that some people, you just want their money and you don't want them to be involved. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that I'm not going to lie. It's like, man, do not do that. You know? Yeah. But we do, we do need everybody involved. That, that was a kind of a joke, but tongue in cheek. As well. I understand. <laughs> I understand. So sometimes my friends are my biggest challenges. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. You, you bet. 
all right, let's talk about let's talk about the the biggest issue facing hunters in I don't care where you go. You even have people in the Rocky Mountain states complaining about access these days. And uh there's big court hearings going on in in uh, Wyoming right now about an access issue. It, it's going on everywhere, but I and I don't mean to downgrade the problems they have out west but there's so much public land out there that it is hard for people in the East to understand why people should care about that because we fight that battle at a level every day. I don't know what Georgia's, Georgia's uh, public prop, public land is, but we're like at 43 to 45% privately owned or no, I'm sorry, that is wrong. We are like 43 to 45 on the, on the list. We are down at 45 on the availability of public land to hunt just in Indiana. So, uh, I think the percentage wise, it's like 90 some percent of Indiana is privately held. Georgia is 92% privately owned. Mm -hmm. Um, it, and access if you, and we talk about research and we talk about stuff and I, I mentioned earlier, that we are the R3 coordinator for the state. So obviously what's the barriers to entry for hunters uh first off they get confused by our regulations our regulations are way too complicated mm -hmm. they but access is one of the primary barriers to people coming into hunting uh and so you know we talked about uh we talked about the uh uh the 365 day a year hunting component uh, of, of uh, raccoons and possums. Mm -hmm. One of the amendments that, that happened at the last uh, last few days of the legislative session was that they removed public lands from that uh, that uh, ability. So you can't you cannot hunt raccoons and possums on public lands 365 days a year. Indiana did the same thing when we passed ours. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's uh, and so those because other folks are using those lands. Mm -hmm. The the agency also needs to do some some uh, some non hunting season maintenance on those lands, roads and gates and burning. Uh, we do a lot of prescribed fire here in Georgia, yeah. uh, and so all of those things have to be done. And so, uh, so there are even though we talk about them being public lands, there are non hunters that are using the lands that hunters have paid for when we, we don't have hunting season and those lands are being, being also reserved or preserved for them as well. Man, uh, that's a whole topic for another podcast, Mike. <laughs> I used to, I used to see our hunting public be restricted from use on public land. And then as I'm out patrolling and I go by this public land, there's that 1979 Impala sitting there the person's never bought a hunting license. They've never been a fisherman and they're out there free range, use this land. However you want to pick berries, pick mushrooms, you know, go do pick wildflowers, but we don't expect any investment from you at all. It's just here for you to use, but we're going to restrict the houndsmen from using it because they disturb wildlife habitat, man. That drove me crazy. I'm we, telling you. We did change the uh, change some of that uh, a few years ago. So we do require fo folks that are going to use our wildlife management areas do have to have either a hunting license, even if you're not hunting, 
you have to have a hunting license. That's or a, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that I love that. That because there's been a big debate. You know, backpack taxes is a term that's used in the Western states. You know, if you're going to be on the, then you have to have a, you have to have a permit to be there. But my fear with just a blanket backpack tax, I love the hunting because then it goes into statistics for PR money instead of giving the non-consumptive user a seat at the table at that point. You know, you know what I mean? Yep. Uh, it, It worries me that, that a backpack tax would overshadow the the number of hunting license sales and then you start skewing the pr money which is used for management habitat and all those wildlife management issues and boom you know then what do you got you got non-consumptive users with a seat at the table because politicians and bureaucrats look at money and they are going to start giving them a larger voice to make decisions about how that property is used about how you hunt there about you know the management of the wildlife Money is power, uh, yeah. and in and, and, and bureaucracies, and money is power in political environments. That's just yeah. the way it is. That's why the most important uh, committee assignments and committee chairs in, uh, in a legislature are appropriations committees. They get to spend the money. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and so, yeah, it's a critical component, uh, and, and it's something that we have to ensure that we continue to uh, to focus on as as hunters and anglers if we want to keep these traditions alive and keep those lands available to us yes absolutely so all right we're we're, i want to kind of wrap this up here with this conversation and that is um i want to talk about the personnel you work you work with georgia wildlife managers all the time Every day. And it, it disturbs me when I see blanket statements like Georgia, Georgia Fish and Wildlife is anti-hunter or those guys are, are not doing their jobs. We, we've talked about this a little bit off air, but when I see that, I want, I want your experience from dealing with these guys how concerned are they how pro hunting are they are they really working for the sportsmen out there our agency i think is is very committed to serving the needs and the wants and the interests of our hunting population uh, you know sometimes we we might have a disagreement over the sort of the fringe parts the around the edges you know but but overall uh our agency really does really does focus on and take into account what hunters and anglers want. Um, they're managing a lot of our properties specifically for game animals, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I, you know, I, uh, I will tell you though, as time goes by, uh, and, and I'm speaking specifically of Georgia here, mm-hmm. I have had some interactions with other states and their agencies. And, and I've seen some that are talking about, we're trying to, you know, they're trying to find uh, funding models uh, for their operations that don't include or that don't depend upon sportsmen. Uh, California's California's really headed that direction. Yeah, I think you're going to see that quite a bit along the uh, along the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, not just California, but uh, north of there as well. Right, uh, and so to where all the all the Californians go to get out of the city. That's they it, into California. <laughs> exactly, yeah. but, but you know. Um, 
But it, interesting enough, one of the things that we've noticed through the years also is that the folks that are coming in as wildlife biologists today oftentimes don't have a background as hunters. You know, I 20 know. years ago, hunter, uh, wildlife biologists were hunters. Uh, and, and, and often, you know, they, they still are, I think in a large part, but not always. And so when I talk with the Dean of the, uh, of the colleges that produce our, um, uh, wildlife professionals, they, they point blank say, you know, what we, what we see now are discovery channel biologists. These are people that develop their interest in the outdoors by watching Nat Geo and discovery channel. And they, they don't really have a background of being out in the woods and being, you know, driving tractors and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and working dogs and all that kind right. of stuff. They have a background that's, a, you know, they come in from the suburbs or, or urban areas. Uh, they love animals because of what they've seen on TV. And so they come into these wildlife programs and, uh, we, uh, they don't have a background. So Georgia wildlife Federation actually has a new program that uh, we've been running it for about four years now, it's called Academics of Field, where we actually go into those schools and we take those students hunting. That is awesome. Uh, and uh, it's a, it, and we are, uh, we've, we're doing that both, uh, both at University of Georgia at Abraham Baldwin Agricultural College, places that provide a lot of our, uh, our wildlife professors, pro- uh, professionals. We're also doing it in places that are non-traditional. We're, uh, we're, we're starting an academics of field at our uh, historically black colleges and universities now. Yeah. Uh, and to, to really, to encourage folks to come in and, and think about hunting that haven't thought about it before. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can at least get the conversation started at that point. Once they have exposure, it, it's like, it, I'm not going to enter into a debate about the Boston marathon. I don't, I don't run the Boston marathon, but there are people that will engage in that conversation with no knowledge and no experience at all and try to tell people how to run it. And when we can set up a program where we are giving people some perspective that they can actually make real life decisions based mm-hmm. on their experience, we're going to be ahead. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think, uh, and so, as I said, I find that our agency really is, it's run by people that are hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I talk to the fisheries chief, the fisheries chief is a fisherman. When yeah. I talked to the uh, game chief, actually at one point we had a game chief that was that or a fisheries uh, chief that was much more of a hunter than a fisherman, and because he, <laughs> when he was in school they told him said if you like to hunt, you better be a fisheries guy so that you can work hard during the summer and you don't have to work as hard oh, during that's hunting brilliant. season. That's brilliant. That's <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> but but so. Uh, having said all of that, you know, it's, uh, it really is a, uh, uh, these folks that are running our agency are hunters and anglers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and even when they hire those non hunters into the agency, they pretty quickly inculcate them into the, into the, uh, into the culture. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, it, it, here in Georgia, we are, we are blessed, mm-hmm. uh, but, not, that's not the that's not the case across the country, you know. And and I I would watch this play out. Hunters a lot of times will point at game wardens and say, "Well, they're anti-hunter," and nothing could be further from the truth. From 
30 years of my experience, even today with the newer officers coming on, we have younger people who've not been exposed to hunting, but they have a deep passion and they have a good understanding of that. And I always told people, and the same is true for biologists and things, you know, the, the biologist side of this is we're working for something that we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. We're working, you know, if I was just a police officer, I find no common ground with the guy that's running the meth house. It's not like in my, in my spare time, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist meth, you know, meth cooker if right. I'm a police officer, but as a conservation officer, I'm out there protecting something that is very near and dear to me and something that I do off duty as well as protect on duty. And it, it, that's what sets that sort of a profession apart. And I know numerous, our biologists, I've goose hunted with our biologists and we have one that was a traditional bow hunter that, that, uh, I mean, just, they love it. They're, they're fanatical. They're not, they're not engaged in it. They're fanatics about it. The problem comes in is when you get bureaucrats who are appointed over them that try to impose policy and things that go against the, the, training and the things that they possess, the knowledge and the experience just to check off boxes. That's yeah. where, that's where biologists and game wardens get thrown under the bus, uh, by bureaucratic appointment. Well, appointees. I, I say this on a regular basis, Chris, and this is, and, and, you know, we talked about Georgia wildlife federation and our role in some of the work that we do in partnership. So I mentioned earlier that on advocacy stuff, Georgia Wildlife Federation, we focus on what the science says. Yes. And, and, uh, but if you stop and take a look, I, I tell people all, all the time, my job, because of, I, I look at, I go back and look, I look at the research papers and what the research says is what our position is. Mm-hmm. The agency does, the agency has a bigger and tougher job than I have. Because not only, I mean, they're all, you know, all the folks that are biologists and technicians, they're all grounded in science and they're all working on a lot of these issues, but they also are employed by a state agency. So they have to take into account a lot of the social components that I don't have to worry about. And they have to take into account a lot of political components that I don't have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they are faced with, a juggling act. It's a lot more difficult than mine. Mm-hmm. And that's where, that's why sometimes we might not always agree on everything, but I will tell you that they are always thinking about the hunters and anglers here in our state. Yeah, that's, that's good news. Well, Mike, we've been, we've been rolling along and, and I'm, we were kind of late getting started because I couldn't spell uh, your email address. But uh, you got any final thoughts, anything, any shout outs to that you want to make or appeals you want to make to the houndsmen in the state of Georgia? What's a good message for them? You know, we're coming. We're at the end of our legislative session. Yep. Uh, we've got it's over Monday was the last day. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and so uh, I would encourage all of our sportsmen, houndsmen, get to know your legislator. Uh, spend some time with them at home. I can spend all the time in the world in Atlanta at the state Capitol, but the most important and most influential people that they deal with are the folks that they see at home. They see the one, they see them in Sunday school at church. They see them at the ball fields mm-hmm. with their kids playing soccer, uh, softball or soccer or whatever it is. They see them uh, at, 
at uh, at the local sports bar in the evening, right. having a having a, a beer and a and some wings. And so, get to know your legislators, and stay engaged. You know, your legislators are interested in hearing from you. This is you're not an imposition to them. They want to hear from you. Yeah. And and keep that keep that rugged individualism going in the woods but join together and help us all at the Capitol because a collective voice is way more important there than a single voice. So that's really kind of what I would, uh, what I, if, if I could encourage folks to really think about and engage in uh, the policy components because folks, it determines the future of what we love to do. When does, uh, when does the legis legislative session start back up in Georgia? So the legislature starts the second Monday of January every year in Georgia, and okay. it runs for 40 days. We used to say when I was a corporate lobbyist, it's 40 days and 80 nights. Uh, <laughs> you, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, there are old sayings like, you know, the legislature's in town, lock up your liquor. And, and uh, well, you know, yeah. th th those things have changed a little bit through the years, but uh, we've got a much more diverse legislative uh, body today. Right. But uh, it's a uh, it it runs normally through uh, the end of March, can go into uh, first part of April, which we did this year. So uh, mm -hmm. that's sort of the time frame. You know, it was uh, it was designed to uh, during our agrarian period, where farmers could go and uh, and work while they weren't necessarily having to work so hard in the field. So right. second Monday of January through normally about. Uh, end of March. I brought that up to set us up because it's pretty similar across the United States. We've got several months here where we can make some real inroads by if every houndsman would go introduce themselves to their legislator. And my legislator told me one time, he goes, it's not nearly as important for you to know my name. It is, it is for me to know your name. And when we can develop that kind of relationship with them, We've got right now, Georgia, people in Georgia, you got eight months to get this done. So this is your houndsman XP task is go find your legislator, introduce yourself to him and make sure that, that he knows your name by the time the next legislative session starts. And if anybody does that and wants any guidance or wants to know who their legislators are or not something about their legislators at the Capitol. I encourage them to reach out to me here at Georgia Wildlife Federation. That was going to be my next assignment is go to Georgia Wildlife Federation's website, join that camo coalition so that you can stay up to date, get to know Mike Worley and, and the people that are there working for you every day. That, perfect. All right, Mike. Well, I appreciate your time. Keep up the good work down there. This has been a, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. It's always I a look pleasure forward to when I call talk anytime, to you. Chris, and, and let's 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 do this uh, let's do this often. All right, you bet. All right, Mike. Well, until next time, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. You got it.